Golf ball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Download the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. All right, it's Ireland versus Canada. And while it's not quite winner bus for Vera Powell's side, it could be make or break. A defeat would be a disaster. A draw may leave a chance and a win against the Olympic champions in Perth would be stupendous. Now, this week we focused a lot on the Irish side of things, of course. But to get the Canadian perspective, we're joined now by Canadian football's answer to Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher. It's the one and only Kevin Kilban. <laughs> Colin, how's it going? How are you? Oh, you wore you wore that compliment what, very well, actually. Well, what a what a combo that is. Do, 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 would you would you call that a compliment? Well, I, I was going to ask necessarily. I was going to ask you, like in Canada, do people compare you to Neville and Carragher? Are are you your own man? People don't know who Ka- Carragher and Neville are over here, so pretty much the same as they don't really know too much of the European base. So no, no, um, they wouldn't compare me with anybody. I've got no comparison, you know. I know. I'm, uh, Maybe maybe there's one or two that could, would compare me with uh, some of the guys that are off the ball because you, there's a lot of listeners over here. You'd be surprised. Well, like what listeners also might be surprised with is that Kevin Caban is a regular listener of Off the Ball despite living in Canada, and we get some very honest and direct reviews about the show. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, well, once or twice. I, I listen. I listen all the time. It's great. I get. Um, there's there's a, a, a long drive I'll have once or twice a week, so I I'll always have you on. So yeah. But you're doing good stuff, Colm. I tell you, you're doing okay. You're Thanks doing well. Very much, yeah. You're doing Thanks. well. You're doing well. I, look, yeah. Kev, I'm going to take you're, that. You're, you're asking some. You're asking some very insightful questions when you're doing your interviews, which is uh, is all always right. a good sign, you know. Okay, all right. I'm going to take that sincerely. I'm going to take it sincerely, and uh, we can proceed. <laughs> we can proceed. Now, look. Uh, before we get on to the Canada side of things, because it is interesting, Kev, both on and off the pitch, the Canadian preparation heading into this World Cup. But yeah. I suppose, look, to start off with, what was your own take on Ireland's 1-0 defeat to Australia? Uh, I thought we played well. Um, I thought there were spells in the game where um, obviously that, that that physical nature that they've brought to, to the game, which has been very, um, which has been spoken about quite a lot over here, actually. I think that they didn't realise the, the physical nature of the island side and um, it's one thing that's there's, there's a graphic going up on uh, on screen in a few of the World Cup games when they've been trying to look forward to this game of the amount of tackles that Denise O'Sullivan, Katie McCabe, and one or two others have been putting in in games. So they've been showing this graphic to to show the physical side of, of this Irish side. So I think the, the, the more than uh, the more than aware of what the, the Irish team brings, but overall, I, I, I think you guys you guys would have would have seen it as well. You know that. There wasn't a lot of chances created in open play, but mm. you know we've all seen the Irish side over the last couple of years, and th- there's a very good structure to the team. They're very difficult to break down defensively. They're, they're so well organised, and it's difficult for, for some of the better players to get really high up the pitch when they're playing from such deep line positions. But I thought they played well, and, and certainly the last 15 minutes when they had that chance to really go and get forward, I thought they created uh, a lot of ch- uh, a lot of openings, should mm. I say? But certainly Australia, a lot of problems. Is there a Katie McCabe shaped conundrum in this Irish team like it's actually good to have you on this even because you started off as this marauding left winger like it's so direct and taken on full backs and it was a breath of fresh air and then as your career went on you pushed a bit deeper into left back and we find ourselves mm. in a situation with Vera Pau's very inflexible setup. you could say and I actually don't mean that so negatively she knows what she wants you find the quality of McCabe 
left wing back. Is mm. that too deep for her for your liking or is it actually ideal? I understand it. I understand because she's got such a good understanding of the game. That's that's the thing with her. She's she's her intelligence is excellent when she's on the pitch. So I think it's one of those where you're probably going to make a she she she's probably making a sacrifice for the team herself. I think I think Vera Power would even know that herself. She probably could be used better elsewhere. But she as I said, that understanding that she's got her, her positional sense at times as well. But she she's a class act. Mm. I think when when the last ten or fifteen minutes we're saying of that game the other day, you could see she was getting more advanced. She was getting more into the game as, as the game progressed. But um, I think she brings that that physical side to it as well. I think she brings that um, destruction that she can that she can bring. So I understand it. I think that I, I've heard you guys talking over the last couple of years about this, even during the qualification campaign, about saying, "Oh, you've got to get Kate McCabe further forward." But I think understanding what she brings to the side in that position, her ball carrying ability, her ability to to travel from uh, over like you know such a, a big distance, that is why she's in that position, and that's why she's doing such a good job in there. And on the Canadian side of things, for our audience who might be might be too familiar with them, so the reigning mm. Olympic champion, so Bev Priestman took over in twenty twenty, she's an English woman. She's only thirty seven. I think she's the second youngest uh, manager at these championships. Yeah, um, she won the Olympics, and that was an improvement on Canada's two previous Olympics appearances, where they got bronze, so they won gold, which is great. But it hasn't been smooth sailing heading to this tournament, to say the least. No, it was pretty much when I'd spoken to you guys around the men going into Qatar. They, they, They've had the same sort of uh, problems with the association, huge problems actually with the association, particularly uh, highlighted, I think, certainly from the women's side on preparation. They've had to, they, they were like the men last year, they were prepared to go on strike in the, in the She Beliefs Cup. Um, they've had a lot of issues over, as I say, preparation over training days. They, I mean, again, this is something aside of. The equal pay and and the financial implications that that that, that the players feel um, they need to address. They've had days where the association can't afford to keep them in a hotel for for a certain amount of time in preparation for the tournament. There's no game time or no time on the training field, so they've had a lot of of issues regarding that. Um, and they feel they feel there's a lot going against them in in every way. They feel as though they don't get the respect globally. That's another issue as well, Colin, that they've got. So. The, they feel as though that they've come together for a purpose and, you know, that can be dangerous when you see a side when they have that sort of togetherness and that sort of purpose going forward. Maybe a cause, I suppose you would say. Yeah, because that's so striking to hear that you're talking about the seventh best team in the world in FIFA rankings. They may not act like it at the moment, but that's where they are. And in Christine Sinclair, they have the all-time international top scorer in both men's and women's teams. You look at the back four that played against... uh, Nigeria in a very disappointing nil-all draw where Sinclair missed the penalty and it's star-studded you have Ashley Lawrence playing for Chelsea uh, Buchanan who's been a slight injury doubt like Louise Quinn playing for Chelsea uh, her partner yeah. Vanessa Gilles on loan at Lyon and then Jade Rivera at Manchester United that's the back four star-studded like yeah. very hard to break down so you have that on paper you have world-class players but why are the conditions so poor? Yeah, and they, they feel that Kaylin Sheridan, the goalkeeper, yeah. is the best in the world. They feel as though she's not recognised at all. She she's the best goalkeeper in the NWSL in in North America. So they just feel as though that they don't get any respect. They feel as though that um, that a lot of the the narrative, certainly North America, is around the US team. Maybe rightly so to an extent because they are the, considered the best side in the world. 
but they feel as though a lot of their players are overlooked. And that's been the narrative, seeing a lot of the interviews that, that, that that's coming out around the team. Um, obviously, Christine Sinclair, who's you know a legend of the game uh, for everything that she's achieved in it, they feel as though that probably she doesn't even get the recognition that she probably deserves. And that's maybe rightly so as well. So it is interesting listening to them. Um, I, I've seen a lot of them, actually. I, I certainly saw all the Olympic Games when they won the Olympics. And the, they're very much a defensive setup. I, I felt through the Olympics. I, I, I don't feel it was great. They, they didn't score any goals from open play in, in the knockout stages. Two of those three wins were, were penalty shootouts. But they've got a way of grinding out wins. Maybe a bit of a similar theme to the Irish side as well, that if, if they're not able to control the bowling games, they're able to grind out results. Um, they have a they have a, a, a conundrum I feel with Christine Sinclair because the, there is uh, a thought over here that maybe she shouldn't be starting games now. Maybe she should be coming off the bench. But because of the history, because of the goals that she scored that you've already spoken about, it, it's going to be hard for Bev Priestman, the coach, to drop her. So that that's something that that's really in a lot of people's minds here. So. Um, it wasn't a great performance in that Nigeria game. I don't think they play well. After the first 15, 20 minutes, maybe, I think Nigeria started to really work their way into the game and showed vulnerabilities in, in the Canada side. And maybe there's a blueprint there for, for Vera Powell and for the Irish side to look at that if you do uh, see a spell through in the game, yes, they missed the penalty, and I know that's that's right, but overall, they didn't really create an awful lot. There was a lot of missed, missed, missed shots from distance. Nigeria sat in well, soaked up pressure, and they're able to break from deep line positions against them with a bit of pace that, that, that Nigeria had. So, as I said, it could be something for us to, to look at, really, and, and, a, and a way to work out how to beat them. But um, there is quality. If mm. if given time and space, there is quality in that Canada side, yeah. But, yeah, the statistics back up that poor run of form that you mentioned there, Kev. Like, they failed to score in four of their last six games. And at the same time, yeah. while they have a brilliant defence on paper, they've conceded 10 in their last eight what do Ireland need to do to breach this Canadian defence? Because in fairness, like however bad that is for Canada, Ireland are not prolific. They do not create a lot of chances. No, and one thing, uh, Colm, having seen them, they don't look great on set pieces. That was something that was really coming to the fore in the last 15 minutes with the Irish set-up. Um, Set-piece deliveries from both sides, I felt, was, was excellent. You know, we, we, Obviously, I heard you guys talking the other day about, about Katie's deliveries. It, she is excellent. So... That could be another way as well. And as I was saying, both sides don't concede too many before and both sides don't create abundance of chances. So it might have to come down to a set piece. And as boring as it sounds sometimes, I think it's important that that the, the Irish girls stay in the game, do not let the game become too open. And I don't think that's going to be the case anyway. I think, having watched the Irish side, certainly in the last few years, they don't let the games get away from them, even if, they concede, they'll try to stay in the game and keep it 1-0. And I think that's got to be a good thing. And it's a no-lose game, isn't it? Win, mm. as you said before, there's a huge chance of qualification. Yeah. Draw, and they're still in the balance, but defeat, and they're, they're probably done. So they, they have to score in this game. That That's the way that the, the mentality has to be for, for the Irish side, I feel. And what a cruel way it would be if we lost to a Christine Sinclair goal, because that actually would also make her the, yeah. another record-breaker to score in six World Cup finals, I know. along with Martha, I know. the Brazilian. That is ridiculous. Where, in Canadian sporting terms, is Christine Sinclair respected enough that her CV suggests it should be? Yeah, I think she feels as though herself, again, there, there's been a lot of... Um, I, I mean, you, you wouldn't have covered it, Colin, much. I know that you've probably read a little bit around their, uh, the the women's um, fight with the, with Canadian yeah. soccer and the, and, the, and the pressure they've had and 
the the Christine St. Clair, Janine Becky, who uh, who worked with us on uh, over in Qatar for the Canadian Network TSN. She's injured actually for the World Cup, so she did a cruise ship prior to the tournament. Um, Quinn is another one who they had to sit before a government commission. It'd be pretty much similar to the Oroctus Commission that that we saw the FAI having to sit before, and they had to discuss things that went terribly wrong with the game and what they how they feel they've been mistreated. And Christine Sinclair felt that she was so disrespectful, uh, so disrespected by Nick Bontis. When Nick Bontis actually made a comment during one of the meetings about Christine Sinclair, uh, bi- what was Christine bitching about? He, he he said in this meeting, she felt as though that that was a huge slur against her. She felt, and she and she spoke about this during this uh, during this committee uh, committee uh, discussion with with government officials. She she probably has a lot of respect within the game. Um, her name is probably recognised more so than a lot of the men's footballers before the last few years. Alfonso Davies is probably the most marketable Canadian athlete there is right now, globally, aside of any hockey or, or basketball player. But uh, Christine Sinclair would probably be right up the uh, marketability uh, for, for, uh, for off-the-field recognition than anything else, I feel, um, than any other probably player that um, that's within that side. So, but... But again, going back to my point, she probably feels that she's not necessarily, she doesn't necessarily have that uh, recognition that she probably deserves. And maybe one or two others within that squad probably feel that, that she deserves as well. Yeah, it must be so frustrating. To It sounds like the Canadian Federation just don't appreciate what they have with the, uh, yeah, an iconic I, player I, like I mean, that. Yeah, I, I mean, that's probably true, fair to say, uh, Colm. Canada Soccer haven't acted well in the last few years. Uh, financially, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of problems for, the, for, for both, as I said, for both men and women's teams. The, the men going into the World Cup over in Qatar had issues. They went on strike last um, last summer mm. prior to the World Cup, and uh, they've had serious issues. And this issue's not been resolved yet. They, they've not had the bonus system from Qatar actually signed and sorted yet. So the women's team and the men's team were both. Uh, going for the joint bargaining um, agreement, which which the US were the first team to to actually agree, they're trying to go for for something similar, but they're just not able to do it because of the financial difficulties that Canada Soccer have right now. It looks as though it's been mismanaged for such a long time. Nick Bontis, who was head of Canada Soccer, has moved on to 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 what I think it's vice president of Concacaf now. He's he's moved on, so he's got no issue. He's got no involvement now with Canada Soccer, and. It's just been mismanaged, mm. and we can look for uh, honestly that the parallels with with the FEI, I feel is is there for us all to see. Over here, they're obviously up in arms. The players, both men and women, have, have had discussed with with the things that have gone on. But seeing what's happened within the FEI, you can see exactly the same sort of, as I said, the same sort of issues that both federations have had. Mm. What's the outlook towards Ireland heading into this match from the Canadian football perspective? Um, I think there's a lot of respect actually now. I think they've, they've gained a lot of respect after the Australia game. Uh, I think they feel that um, they know they're going to have to they're going to have to play maybe a certain way. They're going to have to bring the physical side to the game uh, to compete with the Irish girls. Um, but it's I think as I said before, talking coming into the World Cup, they feel as though that they should be recognised as one of the real favourites of this World Cup, and they're probably tenth, twelfth favourites of the World Cup, even though they've got that seventh ranking. So they feel as though that they've got a lot to do. They feel as sorry. They feel as though that they they can actually beat this Irish side. They feel confident of beating this Irish side. 
Uh, and I think that that's where the general public feel. They feel as though that they're going to be going deep into this tournament and, and they feel as though they're going to be competing later on. You're probably the perfect person to ask the following question, having seen both sides play. What's your prediction? Uh, I, my heart's always going to go on my head, so I've always got to go with the Irish girl, and that's the way that it's always going to be with me. And I, and honestly, watching the game, the, the Canada game, I'm watching the Irish game, I feel as though that um, there's a big chance. I feel a 1-0 win mm. is on the card here. I feel a 1-0 win, honestly, for, for, for the Irish girl is on the card here. We'll clip that, we'll tag you. We'll keep on posting it again and again and again, uh, right up until kickoff. Um, I was interested there, the amount of travel that the women are doing here. So they went from Dublin to Brisbane to Sydney to Perth. It's a long old trek. You yourself had a bit of a journey in 2002 to the World Cup. The three group games were in Japan and the knockout game against Spain was in South Korea. Is that right? Yes, that's yeah. right. That's does, right. Does it have, uh, I know we're talking 21 years later, does it have a genuine impact in focus and fatigue when it comes to the squad. I mean, I, I'd probably spoken about this with 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 many many people. I felt actually going to Saipan helped me physically because when we got back to Japan, I think that because it was so hot when we were in Saipan and uh, and everything we were able to do physically out there, I felt as though I felt good when we got back uh, into Japan. Uh, so so that's something that. Uh, that I felt that's something that I felt um, going into it, going into that World Cup actually. So I didn't necessarily feel. I think there was just a buzz around mm. everything going into the World Cup, and that's pretty much something that that, that I felt throughout. OTB AM, the Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball.